Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 128 of the podcast. My name is Kerry Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Well, you're going to love today's guest. Uh, if you're a regular listener, longtime listener, you have heard him before on the podcast. His name is Mark Batterson, and Mark is one of my absolute favorite people. And, and it's a good thing we know each other because I think I did this interview like last summer. And for whatever reason, it got lost. I don't, I don't know what happened. We, we just lost track of it. I knew I did it, but it didn't air. And then we found it in like this, this dusty archive and we have blown it off and it is still amazing. So, so thank you, Mark, for your patience. And, uh, you know, one of the reasons I'm so excited to bring you Mark today is one of the questions I get, you know, when uh, I meet leaders, it's like, okay, so what is like so-and-so really like? And, you know, the good news is, generally speaking, people people are amazing. But Mark Batterson, honestly, is one of my favorite people in the world. I mean, when you meet Mark, you think, I think he's a pretty nice guy. And then you actually meet him and you realize, like, he's like 10 times nicer, deep integrity, um, extremely hospitable, and an incredible leader and great writer. I mean, a New York Times bestselling author. His books have literally sold millions of copies. And uh, Mark is somebody who who just... His heart is, I don't know, I didn't know him 20 years ago, but, you know, probably as alive or more alive than it was when he started in ministry. And, and that's great. So Mark and Laura are fantastic people, and they've got a great church and a great team at National Community Church in D.C. So I just wanted to share that with you because I know a lot of you are, so what, so-and-so, hey, Mark is incredible. He just really is. So I'm really excited to bring you that interview. And uh, also want to know how you're doing. How are things? Hit me up on Twitter today. I'm just at C. Newhoff. Uh, also on Facebook, it's just C. Newhoff. That's my author page. And I'd love to hear from you, find out what's going on in your life. This is a fun season for me. I'm really enjoying things, uh, doing this podcast, plus the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast, plus getting ready for the Canadian Church Leaders Conference in June. Super excited for that. And uh, also uh, working on some big projects. So I'll, I'll, uh, I'll fill you in a little bit uh, closer to that and uh, let, let you know about that. Also, um, hey, if you have not registered yet for Rethink Leadership, can I just encourage you to do that today? Uh, that conference is happening in April. And we've got some amazing minds coming together for that event. It's two days. It's just for senior leaders. So if you're a senior pastor, campus pastor, or executive pastor, we'd love to have you. Um, Reggie Joyner is going to be there. Nicole Fulgham Baker, Bob Goff, John Acuff, Kara Powell, Judd Wilhite, Brad Lominick, Jeff Surratt, Les McEwen, who you remember from this podcast about predictable success, Clay Scroggins, Darius Wise, Carlos Whitaker, myself, and, and many more. And it's limited. There's just 500 people who's going to be there. Um, we're going to sit in circles, not in rows. You're going to interact with each other and with the speakers. It's going to be incredible. So if you haven't done that yet, you just go to rethinkleadership.com today and you can register. And also, hey, I want to thank uh, another partner for this podcast, and that is Trained Up. Trained Up is kind of taking the church world by storm because they're solving a problem that every church leader has had probably since the Old Testament. Well, maybe not. Okay. But the problem, the problem is this, and you've had this, right? You do a training event and like half your team shows up or three quarters or 20% of your team shows up. And then you try to get people back in the room and, you know, 10% of the people you were hoping to show up, show up. And 
Um, how do you do onboarding? Okay, so you did, let's say you had 100% of your people show up for training. Great, never happens, but let's just assume it happened. And then you get like five new volunteers. How do you onboard them? Do you do a training session for them? Well, they've taken your content and got a delivery system online for it. So if you haven't checked out trainedup.org, that is the problem they solve. And small churches are using it, mid-sized, mega churches, everyone's using it. They've got a price that'll fit your plan and your size and budget. So head on over to trainedup.org today and make sure you check that out. Well, listen, I hope you're doing fantastic. Uh, I'm really excited to bring you this. And, and it's a pretty cool season on the podcast. Uh, more of you are listening than ever before. We've, we, we're just blown away, honestly. I don't understand it. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do. Just hit the subscribe button. It is free. And every week we do this. And then I've got some kind of fresh ideas for bonus episodes. I'm going to do more Ask Carries. But if you're a subscriber, you'll get all the content we pump out. And you can do that on Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio. And in the meantime, without further ado, here's my conversation with Mark Batterson. Well, I got to tell you, it is just so fun to be with a guy who's really become a really good friend, Mark. Like, I so appreciate the times that we've spent together, and it's so awesome to have you back on the podcast. Welcome back. Hey, thank you. And uh, it's it's fun to have pastor friends when you're a pastor. Yes. And, uh, we, we count you as uh, you and Tony as dear friends, and uh, every chance we get to hang out, over a meal, we treasure it. Well, it's absolutely mutual, Mark. I got to tell you, Tony and I absolutely love hanging out with you and Laura. And we love your, even your church, your whole staff feels like family to me. They're just, they're great. You've come and done some events for us and our staff, uh, our team, our leaders love you. And uh, so, you know, there's always the open invitation to hang out here in D.C., well, thank you. And likewise, we got to get you up here to the uh, great warm north. It's been a hot summer. It's been a great summer. Yeah. And, and you know, it's fun, too, is, is, you know, you've birthed a lot of dreams. And I mean, you're a dreamer. You're somebody who really believes that God has more for you in the whole deal. But it was actually at your church about seven or eight months ago that the idea for the High Impact Leader, my next resource, really came out, where I gave that talk on time management. And it got a good response, uh, much more than I thought. And I thought, you know, I wonder if we could just release this to the wider church, to other leaders. So thanks for birthing that. Yeah. And, and you know, I told you it needs to be a book. And, you know, I, I often see books in other people, Carrie. Mm. It's because I had books in me for so many years that I couldn't get out. And uh, when you gave that talk, I knew immediately that one needs to be in book form. Well, right now it's in course form, and maybe there will be a book down the road. So <laughs> thanks for that, Mark. You're such an encouragement, man. So here we are. We are, is it 10 years since you released your first book? It is. In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day. The, Still one of the best titles ever. Uh, it, the longest. And uh, listen, whenever anybody can remember it in the right order, it's like a minor miracle. <laughs> it's like if they can spell Newhoff, right? It's exactly. like that. Yeah. So in a pit with a lion on a snowy day. And by the way, uh, Mark was a previous guest on the podcast. We'll link to that in the show notes where we talked all about how you write. I mean, you're a, a New York Times bestselling author. You Literally millions of copies of your books are in readers' hands, which is just an incredible thing to think about. A decade ago, you were nervous like aspiring author. 
Yeah. Well, every author was a first time author. Yeah. And we all know the statistic that, you know, 97% of books never sell more than 5,000 copies. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, the reality is, I, I think the favor of God is what God can do for you that you can't do for yourself. And, and, uh, some, somehow, some way, I feel like the Lord has favored some of these books and, uh, and that's a joy. So here we are a decade later, and you've now got a sequel to In the Pit of a Lion on a Snowy Day. In a pit. See, I blew it. In, the, in a pit with a lion on a snowy day. And, uh, and you've got a new book called Chase the Lion. So why'd you write a sequel? You know, I think, Carrie, as a pastor, you become a connoisseur of testimonies. Yeah. And when people share a story with you, uh, you just capture it because you love stories and after I wrote In a Pit, I just started getting uh, story after story of people who read that book and then went out and chased a lion. <laughs> and, uh, I started collecting those stories. And at some point, I felt like it would be poor stewardship not to share some of them. And, uh, and so Chase the Lion really uh, was my way of stewarding uh, some of those amazing stories that have inspired me. And so uh, I share a lot of those stories uh, in the sequel. That's cool. That's really cool. So you think that most of us, this is sort of the big premise, right? Well, tell us the story. Just the, I mean, anybody, you know, Old Testament connoisseurs, it's a very obscure reference, right? Yes. Yeah, in, in the Old Testament. 20. I mean, it's kind of buried in the Old Testament. Um, and, and here's the short version. I'm 19 years old. And a preacher named Sam Farina preaches on this verse that tells the story about Benaiah, who chases a lion into a pit on a snowy day and kills it. And I remember thinking, like, are you serious? That's in the Bible? Um, And uh, I thought, if I ever write a book, I want to write a book about that verse. I was 19 years old, and uh, it just kind of got tucked away in in my spirit. So... Uh, the bottom line is, if you're in a pit with a lion on a snowy day, you've got a problem, probably the last problem you'll ever have. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Dead in about two minutes, but uh, but it looks awfully good on your resume if you're applying for a bodyguard position with the king of Israel. And so Benaiah becomes David's bodyguard, uh, 40 years later becomes commander in chief of Israel's army under King Solomon. Wow. But but I think it all traces back to this one moment where are, are you going to run away from what you're afraid of? Or are you going to run to the roar? Um, and I just think you don't let fear dictate your decisions. Uh, you, you, you chase after those 500 pound lines. And so that's where the, the title and the metaphor come from, uh, from this really cool uh, biblical story in 2 Samuel 23. So, Mark, uh, you got thousands of church leaders listening and you're a church leader, I'm a church leader. Do you see fear in church leaders, and how do you see it? Yeah, I mean, I think um, the reality is that most of us do, we we do let fear uh, dictate our decisions, Um, and that's a dangerous place to be as a leader. In Mm. fact, I would say this, that, you know, you can start out taking risks, but then if you aren't careful Uh, you just start repeating the past instead of creating the future and you start playing it safe. So one of our core values at NCC is uh, playing it safe is risky. 
Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the greatest risk is taking no risks at all. And it's a constant temptation. Um, you know, Carrie, you know that I'm now 20 years into this church plant and we have one church with eight campuses and, you know, God's blessing it. But, but I know, in fact, the Lord convicted me a year ago with this little verse uh, in the King James Version that says, thou art careful. And uh, mm. man, I, I do not want to, uh, I don't want to be yesterday's man to borrow a phrase from R.T. Kendall. Yeah. Sometimes those who are on the cutting edge of what God did last become oppositional to what God wants to do next. Uh, we get in the way. And I, I don't want that to be me. I, I want to keep playing offense and uh, keep chasing after dreams. And so that really is part of the heartbeat behind the book. That's cool. Let me pick up on that, um, Mark, because let, let's go back to a time. How do you avoid becoming yesterday's man or yesterday's woman or yesterday's leader? Because you have had success as a church leader. I mean, eight campuses, thousands of people on a Sunday morning in a city that honestly, I mean, you're not just like D.C. area. You are downtown D.C. You can see Capitol Hill from your broadcast location. Literally, if you step out into the street, don't get hit by traffic. You can see it. So, I mean, you're, you're right in the heart of D.C. How have you navigated that tension personally between like the stuff that worked for you in the 90s isn't working for you in the 2000s needs to change now that you're staring 2020 down the pipes? Like, how has that played out in real tangible ways at NCC? Well, the, the good news is, is that I get easily bored, Carrie. <laughs> That's a good characteristic. I, I have like this uh, holy attention deficit disorder that, you know, if we're just doing what we've always done, I, I get bored. Mm -hmm. And so one of the beautiful things about multi-site is that you're always looking for what's next. You know, what, what does God want to do next? And and, and I do have an entrepreneurial streak. Um, so, you know, we don't just have the eight campuses. Of course, we have a coffee house on Capitol Hill. We just opened uh, the only operational movie theater on Capitol Hill. And then our dream center is going to open up in about two months. Um, oh, that soon already. Wow. Yeah, yeah it's, it's right around the corner. And so we're always thinking about what's next. And the truth is, before a book even comes out, I'm already thinking about the next one. And, and I think that is uh, that God wants to give you a dream that, number one, you can't accomplish yourself. It's going to take a team to mm. accomplish that dream. And then the second thing I would say is, man, we need dreams that we can't even accomplish in our lifetime. Uh <laughs> you know, what, what are you doing today that's going to make a difference a hundred years from now? And so I try to keep this mindset that, um, well, success is succession. You know, mm. listen, every pastor is an interim pastor, Carrie. Uh, yep. Now I'd love to be an interim pastor for 40 or 50 years <laughs> yeah. here at NCC, but you know, it's about, it's about having this mindset of, uh, God wants to give us dreams that are beyond our ability and beyond our resources so that, that we can't take credit for them. And then that's how God gets the glory. So, uh, you know, right at the heart of the book is this idea that when we lack the guts to go after God-sized dreams, we rob God of the glory that he deserves. And so um, we don't just fall short of his glory via sin. 
I think we fall short of his glory when we dream small dreams that we could accomplish ourselves. Let, let's dream bigger dreams than that. Hmm. What are some of those dreams for you right now? When you, when you look at, do you have dreams that scare you? Do you have dreams that make you go, oh my goodness, no, that, that's, I can't do that. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, when I look at National Community Church, I mean, the truth is the church outgrew me uh, a long time ago. As a leader, yeah, I'm familiar with that. You know, one of the one of the things I like reminding myself of is that honestly, I'm not capable or qualified to lead this church two years from now in my current state of spiritual maturity and giftedness. I've got to keep growing so that that I can continue to to lead this thing. And so um you know, we're, we'll take 34 missions trips this year, but but our dream's bigger than that. We want a team coming and going every week of the year. Um, you know, our 2020 vision is 20 expressions, and, you know, we're, we're at about uh, 10 or 11 right now, and so we've got a long ways to go. A long way to go. That one's a little bit, yeah, and, and it's going to be 2017 before you know it, right? Yeah, like... It, it, it is, Um but, uh, you know, we want to grow more so that we can give more. And, uh, you know, our heartbeat really is uh, missions. And uh, that's that's kind of the driving engine uh, behind what we do here at NCC. Yeah, those are big dreams. Those are big dreams. Tell us about the story behind the Miracle Theater on Capitol Hill. You mentioned it's the only functioning theater on Capitol Hill, which is great. What happened 49 years ago to birth the dream and and all that. And it's a really cool place. If you've never been to NCC, you got to go hang out there. It's surprisingly small. Like when we think of theater, we think of plexes, right? There's no plex to this. This is like a theater uh, that you've converted into church. So tell us that story. It is. And we we break fire code when we squeeze in about 400 or uh, 500 people at a pop. So. <laughs> yeah. If you're listening, just disregard this. <laughs> yes, but what's fun is that the 1929 movie theater seats are are the original seats are still in there. Wow. Uh, so you know, 50 years ago, a guy named R.W. Shambach, an evangelist, was doing a crusade in D.C. and he walks by this movie theater and he feels this prompting to pray that God would shut it down and turn it into a church. And crazy, that's what happened two years later. And uh, for 49 years, it was the People's Church. Okay. A few years ago, it became National Community Church, and uh, and we have the privilege of stewarding it. But but I love sharing that story because you know Shambach prayed that prayer long before I was born. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and and so I make the point at the beginning of the book that every dream is really a dream within a dream. Uh, yeah. It's prayer within a prayer. Uh, and uh, of course, I, I have a little bit of fun with the movie Inception and uh, <laughs> use that as a, as a metaphor. But I, I think that's what the Holy Spirit does. He conceives dreams in us. But, but I think the important thing, Carrie, is to realize that that dream isn't just for you. Uh, it's not even about right here, right now. It's about nations and generations and and. It's not about your dream. It's about the dream that your dreams will inspire in hmm. others. That that's when leadership and when uh, when pastoring kind of goes to the next level. Uh, and I think that's uh, that's when it gets really fun. 
One of the things I love about NCC, and we didn't talk about it so much uh, in our first interview together earlier on the podcast, but I love it if you would just sort of like, unless you've been to NCC, you really have no idea how much Mark and his team have worked so hard to create a church where really the conditions are not ripe or ideal for growing a growing church in in downtown D.C. So let me just give a little backstory. I mean, if you go to uh, the Miracle Theater, and which is what you call it now, and uh, that's is that still your broadcast location? Yeah, it is. Yeah, so that's a broadcast location. So if you do the whole church circuit and you go to conferences and that sort of thing, you think broadcast location, you know, $20 million, you know, TV studio, 17 acres, 100 acres, whatever. No, you've got what, 40 feet of frontage and a couple <laughs> of cameras at the back. And like Nina, who does your is your next gen director, she's running around to another building to find family ministry space. And you're launching new campuses. And it's like, well, we don't know where we're going to put the kids, but we'll figure that out in the next two weeks when we launch, because family's a big priority. And you have a very, very young church. Like, you're doing this on a dime. And you're doing this like you're, 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 you're reverse engineering. You've got the dream, you've got the destination, and you've got to make it happen culture. And you're not spending $20 million a location to get this, you know, thing birthed, right? Yeah. So talk a little bit about that. Because I think a lot of the times we have this ideal, this ideal that, you know, well, if God is going to make me that kind of a leader, he's going to give me $50 million and a thousand acres and it'll all drop in my lap. But no, that's not the story of NCC at all. It's not, you know, and part of it, and this might be the most encouraging share thing I share on the entire podcast is that, you know, property goes for about 14 million an acre in our neck of the woods. <laughs> that's and that's without any, without any building on it. Um, and uh, the truth is God has done some real estate miracles. In fact, you know that two blocks from this theater, uh, we own a city block, um, and, uh, and eventually it will become, uh, you know, our next, our next campus and uh, it'll leverage us, I think for the next generation. Um, so God has done some miracles, but the truth is, you know, when you're in an urban environment, I think you've got to be a little bit more creative, a little bit more fluid. And it's taken us 20 years to kind of get to this place. Um, and, uh, and honestly, when we build out that campus, it's going to have to be a, a combination of retail, residential, and church campus. Um, so it's going to be a whole different genre of property development. But but again, you know, one of my core convictions is that there are ways of doing church that no one's thought of yet. Yep. And and so that's kind of what drives us. And we're you know to use the old uh, uh, analogy, we're building the plane in the air. And uh, we, we don't have this thing figured out. I, I don't know um, five, 10 years from now, uh, even the way the wind's going to blow in God's kingdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but I think that's what keeps us reliant on the Holy Spirit. And uh, you do it one day at a time um, and, and you keep stewarding things and, uh, and God blesses it. So how do you manage? I mean, I think when leaders look out there, you see one of two things. You either see the obstacle or you see the opportunity. And I think it's fair game, Mark, to to because we spent some time together and I've spent some time with your team and at your church. But I think it's really easy to say a lot of people would have gone into DC and only seen obstacles. It's like 
It's $14 million an acre. Oh, there's no available land. Uh, People here aren't very interested in God, right? Which is all of which is true. Yeah. And yet, how do you keep finding the opportunity and not just stay fixated on the obstacles? Yeah, it's a mindset. Um, You know, and it's funny, Carrie, because it really goes back to uh, this core idea and chase the line. Do you see a 500 pound problem Mm -hmm. or do you see a 500 pound opportunity? Yeah. You know, we we uh, we still experience about thirty five to forty percent turnover per year. That's crazy, uh, and it's because we're we're fifty percent single twenty somethings, and people we've got military, we've got students, and we've got hill staffers, and people come and go. DC is like this turnstile. Yeah. Well, some people would look at that and see a problem. But I look at that and say, man, what an opportunity to impact people for a few months or a few years and then send them all around the world. So we've got, you know, Foreign Service, State Department, <laughs> military. We're sending people all around the world all the time. Uh, and and we love the fact that we've got um, interns, that hundreds of interns every summer that will show up. And they're only here for two or three months. But uh, we've chosen to embrace that. Uh, and we're a little bit of a revolving door church, um, but uh, that also means we have a ton of people moving into the area and uh, showing up at NCC as well. So I think you you take the hand that you're dealt, and then you try to play it to the best of your God-given ability. That's one of the things I so respect and admire about you, but you know, just think about that for a moment. Next year, 35 to 40% of your church is going to disappear if it doesn't turn over. You probably don't want to hear it in that stark <laughs> term. <laughs> how do you keep growing? Is it word of mouth? Like, how do you how do you infiltrate a city like D.C.? Yeah, I, I think that, uh, you know, one of my goals from day one is has been that when people miss church, they actually miss church. Ah, that's good. And I think if you create a life-giving experience and... Uh, if you continue to preach and teach the gospel and if you're impacting people's lives, I think eventually you can't keep people away because uh, mm. it is the good news. It is the hope of the world. And uh, and so that's what we've tried to do. Well, I think it's like 87% of our people heard about NCC from a friend. Uh, wow. it's, it's word of mouth. It's, yep. it, it, it's, uh, there's no shortcut. Um, and, uh, you know, our first five years, it, it took us five years to grow from 19 people to 250 people. Hmm. Um, but, but then, uh, you know, as a church gains momentum and begins to kind of come to terms with its, uh, identity and the role it plays in the kingdom, um, you know, you overestimate what you can do in a year or two, you underestimate what God can do in 10 or 20. Yeah, that's a good way to think about it. While we're talking about church for a moment, and we'll jump back into some of the broader ideas in a moment, I love your protege program. So tell us a little bit about that, because usually what happens, I think, with most internships is we get these interns in and they're young, they're right after high school or in college or after college, and we try to teach them skills. You had to take a very different approach to your protege program. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, it's almost our farm system at NCC. 
Uh, we have interns come and spend a year in DC, a year at NCC. They kind of breathe our air, they drink our water, and uh, uh, they do it for free, which is pretty unbelievable. It's <laughs> crazy. But listen, those are the kind of people you want to hire, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we have, I think it's 14 staff members that are former protégés. And, uh, you know, I, I think it goes back to this apprenticeship model, which, you know, I guess a few hundred years ago, that would have been the model. And, and of course, that's what you see in Scripture, even with Jesus, yeah. probably learning a trade from his father, Joseph. Um, and, and you know what? It even goes back to, uh, I write a chapter in Chase the Lion about the 37 mighty men and how essentially they were David's... Uh, Aid to camps, um, mm-hmm. and uh, how if you don't have a dream, get around someone who has a dream, and and it'll become contagious. And so That's what we're trying to do is just create a uh, sort of a hands-on apprenticeship model. And uh, I think it's been a win-win both for NCC and for the proteges that have come and spent a year here in in DC. You focus an awful lot on character development and spiritual development, don't you? With the uh, with the proteges, we do, and uh, you know, even with our staff, you know, I've never been someone that's focused on church growth. I think you focus on personal growth, and if you're growing, uh, then whatever it is that you're leading is going to experience growth as a byproduct. So, uh, you know, we try to really create a staff culture where. Uh, you know, we have a planning retreat in the fall, but we also do something called a play and pray retreat. Um, mm. Our staff, where we're building relationship, we try to send our teams to conferences because we want to keep doing reconnaissance. And uh, and and then, uh, you know, I, I lead a staff chapel once a month. Uh, we do uh, development stuff with our emerging leaders. Uh, we're always trying to push our team to the next level. And uh, I think when you create that kind of culture, uh, then you have a growth mindset and that growth mindset then allows the church uh, to continue to grow the church at large. That's good stuff. All right. Well, let's 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 pull the camera back a little bit and talk about ideas and dreams, because I think every leader listening has probably got some kind of dream or maybe it died and they used to have a dream. How do you know your dream isn't just a delusion? You know, because can you get to the point where it's just like, man, you're a dreamer. Like, like, how do you know, where is that line or, or how do you discern whether it's a dream worth chasing, you know, or the lion's just going to eat you? Yeah. <laughs> how do you figure that's, that out? You know, that's one that takes tremendous discernment. Yeah. And, you know, my first attempt at church planting was a failure. And, you know, I look back on it now and like, Man, I I don't even know exactly what to make of it. Uh, <laughs> How did that happen? Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I mean, first of all, it's 22, Carrie. Let's just start right there. <laughs> and it's amazing how much you know when you're 22. Right. Uh, you know, I thought I had it all figured out. I had a 25-year plan for that church plant, and we never even made it the first year. Wow. Um you know, I think it was it was maybe the right idea at the wrong time in the wrong place. And sure. uh, but God used that to get us from Chicago to D.C. So I look back on it and I'm grateful. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, the leading cause of 
failures mismanaged success and the leading cause of success is well-managed failure. And, mm, and so uh, it's okay. Um, in fact, I even share some stories in Chase the Line about people that, uh, you know, business that they chased and, and opened, but it failed or mm-hmm. people that really um, didn't win the election, even though they felt called to run. I don't think I don't think success and failure is the ultimate measuring stick. I think it's obedience. I need to be obedient to what I think God has called me to do. And of course, that comes back to discerning uh, that still small voice of the Holy Spirit. And and it's not easy, but I think the best biblical metaphor is, you know, Peter in the in the boat in the Sea of Galilee in the middle of the night. Um, Listen, if uh, if Jesus doesn't say come, you better stay in the boat. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but, but if you do discern that he's saying come, then you better get out of the boat because that's the only way you're going to walk on water. And so I'm just wired in a way that uh, I think too many people play it safe, and, and we miss out on those opportunities because uh, we're we let fear dictate those decisions. And so uh, I think part of the book is sharing enough stories so that people then have the courage. Uh, to step out and chase after some of those things. And, and you know, I've had businesses that I've tried to start that have failed. Mm. Uh, so don't don't think that, that you know, not everything turns to gold. And I've had some books that honestly have been a disappointment uh, in terms sure. of sales. But, uh, you know, I think you keep doing what God's called you to do. And, and when you do that, um, you know, God has a way of blessing it and honoring it. So what does your personal discernment process look like these days? You know, when you're trying to decide, should I keep writing? Do we do a ninth campus? Um, how much money do we invest in in this new location? You know, you got the whole city block mapped out. Like, how do you know when God is in it? Is it an inner prompting? Uh, like, how do you make those decisions at this point in your life? Yeah, you know, after 20 years of leading this church, you kind of cultivate certain instincts, Carrie. Mm-hmm. The danger with that is you need to be able to explain those instincts. <laughs> That's right. Just, and, uh, just trust me, we're thin after 20 years sometimes, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, the, the funny thing is, is I always tell other pastors, like, I don't get paid to preach. I do that for free. Uh, I, I love to preach. I get paid for the 5248 decisions that no one else wants to make. Right. And you're not sure which way the 52 or 48 is pointing. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think it's it's making those tough decisions. And uh, and then if you make a bad decision, it's owning it and admitting it. And that can actually increase uh, your um, your leadership quotient because people will trust you if you're willing to admit mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but, but, you know, I think, um, it's this process of, um, continuing to discern, uh, God's plans and purposes and surrounding yourself with some good people that have voice into your life. Yeah. So I have a spiritual father named Dick Fove. Um, who is a, a key sounding board for me. And then we have an executive leadership team that, uh, you know, I trust their wisdom, their collective wisdom. And uh, um, so I, I think it's all of those factors. Yeah. 
So it's your own inner prayer life, like what you're discerning from the Holy Spirit, but then you run that by your mentor and you take it by your executive leadership team. And so what happens if your mentor and your leadership team say, ah, oh, Mark, I'm not, I'm not convinced. What, what do you do? You know, I think at that point, I, I have sometimes um, deferred uh, to those voices that might caution me. And then there are other times that I felt like, listen, it wasn't logic that got us to the place that we're at as a church. Um, Like, for example, we had no business going into the coffee business, Carrie. Yeah. I mean, I didn't even drink coffee when we opened the (laughs) coffee house. Um, But, you know, a million customers later, uh, you know, God has blessed uh, the the business plan we put on the table. And and, uh, so, Here's what's fun. You never totally figure it out. Yeah, and, that's fair. And I think that's what keeps us, you know, totally re- reliant upon God. I never want to be in a place where I'm not forced to my knees in prayer. In fact, you know, I mentioned to this to you that, you know, yesterday uh, our team did something we had never done before. We just yeah. took a whole work day and said, let's just pray together all day. Um, no, no meetings. Let's just pray and seek the Lord and, and make sure that we've got his heart. And, and I'd rather have one God idea than a thousand good ideas. Mm. And you get God ideas in the word of God in the presence of God. And, uh, and so, you know, this is stuff that you can't learn in seminary. Yeah. Uh, it's, no, it's that's a good answer. Leadership, I think. That's a really good answer and a similar process. I have mentors, I have my internal compass and prayer life, and then, you know, try to surround myself with really wise people. And, and generally, I listen to that counsel. And if I go out in a different direction, I realize I'm out on a limb all by myself, and I better be really, really careful because there's a lot of smart people who think I'm making a big mistake right now. Let me let me ask you this, because there's a lot of church young church planters, a lot of 22-year-olds who listen to this podcast. Yes. Why didn't you just decide after your church plant with the 25-year plan failed in year one? Why didn't you just decide, wow, I was completely wrong about ministry. And you know what? I'm going to throw in the towel and Laura and I are going to do something else. I'm going to go sell cars or I'm going to sell insurance or, you know, but ministry's done. Why Why did you decide to keep going and, and then actually plant another church? Yeah, I think I, I just couldn't escape that calling. I knew that God had called us to full-time vocational ministry, and I knew that church planning was how we wanted to do it. So yeah, it was it was even scarier attempting the second plant because I, I felt like, you know, it's one thing to fail once, but if you fail twice, that really confirms uh, <laughs> you as a failure. Um, and were you married at the time? You and Laura we, were married? Or yeah. we, uh, we were about a year married when, when we tried <laughs> the first one. That's fun. And, uh, you know, it's the same thing with, with writing. You know, I felt called to write when I was 22, but I didn't write a book until I was 35. But I couldn't escape the fact that I, I really believed that God had called me. And so, mm. you know, what I would say to, to younger pastors, um, it really this applies to anyone, that when you're discerning the will of God, I think it's a twofold test. You've got to be released from and called to. Right. And, and so, if you're released from, then it would be disobedient to stay where you're at. And sometimes it takes more courage 
to throw in the towel and say, God has released me from this. But if he hasn't released you, you better hang in there. Because, you know, those that first year or two, Carrie, there, there was a temptation. Do we just, because again, we weren't a hundred people at the end of our first year. Right. Um, yeah. It's not like NCC got off to this, wow, zero to a thousand in 10 minutes start. Yeah, right? not, not, not even close. But here's the thing. I could have um, convinced myself that, you know, at that point I would have been giving up on 25 people. But the reality is I would have been giving up on the thousands of people that God was going to send our way in the years to come. Mm. And so don't just look at it from a present tense perspective. You've got to consider the whole future tense scope of the decisions that you're making. And, uh, you know, again, these are hard things to discern uh, from the Lord. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I want to make sure that I've heard his voice and uh, unless he releases me, I'm not going anywhere. How did you keep yourself from being discouraged? Because you went directly from the not successful church plant in Chicago to D.C., correct? Yeah, correct. And, uh, and so now you're a year into it and you would have how many people after year one from 19 to, to what? Yeah, no, I, we, we, uh, we averaged about 25 people our first year. Wow. So how did you and Laura like not just, because now that's, I don't know, thousands on a Sunday morning in eight locations and the whole deal. How did you and Laura just not go, okay, yeah, we were wrong? Well, I think number one, the Lord convicted me and, you know, I realized I needed to enjoy the journey. Mm -hmm. And so enjoy pastoring 25 people. Honestly, you know, I've shared this with you before that, you know, I read 3000 books before I wrote one. Right. Um, And people sometimes look at me like, there's no way you read 200 books a year. Um, And I remind them, hey, I pastored 25 people. I had some time on my hands. You visited all of them, wrote your message and read 20 books a week. (laughs) Exactly. So you got to enjoy the journey. I think you've got to keep zooming out and remind yourself of the long-term vision that God's given you. And, and you know, it's about long obedience in the same direction, to use a, a yeah. little phrase that Eugene Peterson coined. Um, y- you know, you got to hang in there for a long time. And uh, if you do, I think God's going to honor it. And uh, he's going to show up and show off eventually if you keep doing the right things day in and day out. So that's really wow. what we did, Carrie. We just kept loving people. I kept preaching my heart out. And uh, we kept discipling people. And and again, you know, a lot of those people cycled through and left because of the uh, transience of the D.C. area. But over time, more people came than left. Well, there's a lot of us who are incredibly grateful that you stuck around and that you didn't throw in the towel. But, you know, it's funny how uh, a lot of us, and I think, I think being young really helps too. You know, you're reminding me that I've been in the same area for 21 years in the same way that you've been in D.C. for two decades. But, you know, I tried a bunch of churches in the GTA and around here, greater Toronto area. And it's like, would you take me as a student? It was like, no, no. Like I got I got offers in law, but in ministry, nobody wanted me. And so I came up here and I won this church by one vote, one vote. Now, if I've got advice to church leaders, it's like, don't go into a place where 49% of the people didn't want you. Um <laughs> But I was too stupid. I didn't know. I mean, I just went anyway. And you're following this call, chasing this dream, right? And here we are 21 years later, and we wouldn't change it for anything. But there's a lot of failure before you find 
success. I did this podcast. I did a version of this podcast before I launched the podcast two years ago, just as this blog feature that went absolutely nowhere. It was the worst stuff I did on my blog. Nobody read it. But I still had this idea that, okay, I'm still going to do a podcast, but I did it right the second time. So funny that way. Uh, well, uh, and, and I, I think that's going to be a real encouragement to listeners. I, very few dreams that I've had, Carrie, worked out the first time. Yeah. Uh, you know, they usually go through a death and resurrection. And in fact, it would be appropriate for me to share that, you know, when I got a contract for In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day, uh-huh. the publisher gave me a contract and then told me to rewrite the whole book. Really? Like, it's just not that good, Mark? Is that what you said? No, they love the concept, but uh, they said, you need to write it again. And uh, so crazy. Um, Actually wrote that book twice. And uh, Was it better the second time around? it, it, It was. In fact, you know what it was is the first book was very reactive. You know, what happens if you're in a pit? and maybe a lion wanders in but we realized from the original language that it's a more it's a more proactive more aggressive word that is translated chase in in some of those uh different versions of the bible and so the the book totally flipped from this reactive to a very proactive chase the lion and so you know in retrospect I'm so glad they told me to uh rewrite it because it totally changed the but book but that must have been humbling Right. To get that note. uh, Yes. So, (laughs) yes, let's just leave it there. Let's leave it there. (laughs) All right. So you mentioned a long obedience in the same direction, which I think was Eugene Peterson's first book. And recently you got to spend a little bit of time with Eugene Peterson. So really a formative person in my development as a church leader, obviously translated the message um, tell me, what was that like to hang out with Eugene Peterson? Uh, it was pretty awesome. Uh, he is 84 years young now. Wow. And, you know, the thing I, I love the most was his laugh and his smile at, at 84. Uh, you know, sometimes ministry can uh, take some wear and tear, and, and there are easier occupations. Oh, uh, yes. But, but at the same time, what a joy to know that what we do makes an eternal difference. And, uh, and to be able to see that on his face at 84 uh, was awfully refreshing. And of course, I identify with Eugene because I, I feel like I'm called to pastor and to write. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he kind of sets the bar for that. In fact, he pastored a church for almost 30 years, uh, not, not far from D.C., and uh, that's an inspiration to me. And, and of course, that little phrase, long obedience in the same direction, is one of my all-time favorites and uh, um, I, I think is the key to uh, fruitfulness in ministry. Yeah. Do you, how do you chase dreams into your senior years? Like somebody like, and that's a thing. I think, you know, you see a guy like Eugene Peterson, and I haven't met him, but at 84 is, you know, very alive. Tim Keller in his 60s, is embarking in this whole new phase, this whole new mission with his life. You know, you see leaders like that. Do you keep chasing dreams? Like, what do you do as you get older? Yeah, what, one of my favorite words is neoteny. It's, okay, that's new yeah, to me. What is that? 
It's the retention of youthful qualities into adulthood. It's a zoological term. It generally refers to to animals, but I always um, call my spiritual father, Dick Foth, uh, neotenic. Uh, (laughs) You know, he's, uh, he's 74 now, but he did his life plan when he was 72, Carrie. Um, he met with a life coach and I was like, what I love is he doesn't know what he wants to do when he grows up, you know, and he's 74. Oh. Um, it's this idea that, uh, that, that as long as you're breathing, God has plans and purposes uh, that are beyond what you can ask and imagine. And so um, I, I think, uh, you know, the Bible says without a vision, the people perish. Uh, but with a vision, it kind of keeps you evergreen. It keeps you uh, young, if you will. It's kind of that Caleb uh, is strong at 85 as he was at 40. And so uh, I think dreams are the thing that, that keep us young. And, and that's why you need a dream that's longer than your life, that's bigger than you are, um, because then you're going to have to continue to pursue it uh, your entire life. And uh, and so this this idea of dreaming, Carrie, it, it can come across as, I don't know, as um, self-help. It can come across sure. as, as um, you know, well, that's nice. But to me, that's not it. No, uh, dreaming is a form of praying. Praying is a form of dreaming. Uh, and it's not even about accomplishing the dream. It's about who you become in the process. God wants us to have these dreams that are absolutely impossible. And and this is not optional. Uh, mm-hmm. No, this is, this is the way God's designed us. He's the one who gave you a right brain imagination. That imagination is God's gift to you. A dream is your gift back to God. And the people that I see that God uses in a powerful way are the people that, that uh, steward uh, that imagination and dream those God-sized dreams. I couldn't agree more. And I think, I think honestly, dreaming, at least the way you describe it, you're not talking about like pie in the sky stuff. You're talking about, no, I want my life to be about hope. It's an act of faith. It's an act of defiance, you know, in the face of sin and death and decay. It's an act of trust. It's an act of promise and calling. And I, I love that. I mean, I feel more alive at this stage, two decades into ministry than I probably did when I started out. And two decades from now, if I'm still, you know, alive, God willing, I want to feel more excited about the future. I want to be Dick Foth. I want to be like 74. What am I going to do when I grow up? That would be awesome. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm hoping and praying uh, that Chase the Lion, as people read the book, that it would really inspire them uh, to kind of identify some of those 500-pound dreams and, and go after them. Uh, I tell a fun story at the beginning about the Wright brothers, and uh, I love this little phrase: uh, "Repent of the uh, unbelief uh, of the unbelief in the possibility of your dream." That hmm. uh, God's put it in your heart for a reason, and uh, you know, I think you come alive when you begin to go after it. And then the beautiful thing is that dream is as unique as our fingerprint. So it's going to look different for you than it does for me. Um, But at the end of the day, uh, we've got to be going after those dreams. To that end, in the book, you say, we start dying the day we stop dreaming. So Mark, what would you say to people who are like, great, this is awesome. You have a dream. I don't like I I've, I used to and life beat it out of me or 
I don't even know what my dream is. Like, I can't figure that out. What do you say to people who would just for whatever reason would say right now, I just don't have a dream? Yeah, I would say two things. First of all, you think you don't. Hmm. <laughs> That's a good answer. But but let me use let me use this as an, an example. If you're a parent, you have a dream. In hmm. fact, you gave that dream a name when he or she was born. Hmm. Um, you have a dream that your kids are gonna grow up and and follow Christ and that their life is gonna get leveraged and that, that God's gonna use them. Uh so you're a dreamer. You just don't know it. You might not call it a dream, but but I dare say that you have some dreams in your heart uh, that are there. You just haven't identified them. The second thing that I would say is that it's not just about discovering your dream. It's about getting around uh, and serving someone else's dream. And so to me, what I love about the 37 mighty men in 2 Samuel 23 is it really wasn't about their dream. It was about David's dream of becoming king. Mm-hmm. And because they helped David's dream become reality, I think their dream, dreams became reality in the process. And so, um, you know, it's not about a self-promoting or self-serving dream. It's about really uh, identifying uh, a God-honoring dream and going after that. And sometimes that starts by just serving someone else's dream. That's a good starting point. Well, and I love that analogy that you use, you know, with Benaiah and his 37 men and King David, because what they realized or didn't realize at the time, maybe, is that they were actually building God's dream, the dream of a nation, the lineage of a Messiah. I mean, the reason that we're here right now is because those guys pursued that dream. Yeah, and that's where it gets so fun, Carrie. I think only eternity will tell the way that our dreams inspired a dream, which inspired a dream, mm. which inspired a dream. I, and, and that's where God's sovereignty comes into play. Yeah. Uh, but, but here's one helpful way to think about it. You know, I may have started pastoring NCC the first Sunday in January of 1996, but the reality is NCC started in July of 1967 when my father-in-law planted Calvary Church in Naperville, Illinois. Wow. Um, because my dream is a dream within a dream. But then it goes back further than that because my father-in-law had influences that inspired him to dream his dream. <laughs> and of course, this goes all the way back to the beginning of creation and uh, God's original dream. And so this is the inception part. <laughs> and God gets all the glory at the end of the day uh, because it's all a dream within a dream. Okay, couple more questions. Discouraged leaders. Hey, Mark, thanks, man. Love you, but I've chased a dozen dreams. They all died. I'm just a failure. What do you say to them? Yeah, I would say let, let's make sure that we read the Bible accurately, that uh Number one, most of the dreams that became reality took so much longer than what Joseph wanted 13 years or Abraham 25 You're years. You're just in prison right now, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, or Moses 40 years. Like, And I write about some of those holding patterns mm. in the book. And of course, I, I, I share some stories uh, that I think will be inspiring um, uh, and encourage um 
leaders. So I, I get it. You know, my dream of writing a book for 13 years, it became more and more and more frustrating mm. until I was ready to throw that dream out because every birthday, it was like a reminder of another year uh, of uh, the dream deferred. But I think if God's put it in your heart, you got to hang on to it. And uh, if you're willing to hang in there and hang on to it, um, he began a good work is going to carry it to completion. I'm going to bank on that and believe that he's going to bring it to pass. Why did it take 13 years to write? I know we talked about that a little bit in the earlier podcast episode, but why, why, why didn't you just like at 27 come out of the gate and it's like, that's it. This is the year. Well, I, I had half a dozen half finished manuscripts, hmm. but I couldn't seem to tie off the umbil- umbilical cord on any of them. I, I just couldn't seem to get to the finish line. Now, looking back on it, I think it was God's grace. Cause if I had written the book at, at 22, I probably would have had to write another book to retract everything. (laughs) Um, You know, I think it would have been all theory and no experience. And so I I look back on it now and I'm grateful that that I think God wanted me to accumulate some life experience uh, before I wrote that first book. And so um, short story, I wasn't ready. And and God was gracious enough to kind of wait until I was finally 35 to write that book. So, you know, you got to trust God's timing. I got to trust his strange and mysterious ways. Mm. You had a kind of cool experience you hinted at before we started recording that you actually have experienced some healing lately, physical healing for something that's bothered you. Like me, I've been an asthmatic all my life. So tell us about that. Yeah, I I appreciate that. the opportunity to share that, Carrie. Um, Alfred Adler would, uh, the famous psychologist, would uh-huh. ask um, his new clients to tell him their oldest memory. And no matter uh-huh. what they told him, he would say, and so life is. In, in other words, our earliest memories have an imprint on us that's profound. My mm-hmm. earliest memory is an asthma attack when I was three years old. And had to go to the hospital, get a shot of epinephrine. And uh, I've had asthma my entire life. I can't remember anything else. But long story short, 66 days ago, God healed me. Um, I I have not taken an inhaler in 66 days. And you've got to understand, there aren't 66 days of my entire life where I haven't taken an inhaler over 40 plus years. Um, I've never gone anywhere without an inhaler. but um, something happened. Uh, you know, it's crazy. I, I think sometimes we tolerate things. We yeah. just submit to them. We kind of accept life. I, I'm just asthmatic, right? Yeah. And, and now here's the thing, though. I had prayed hundreds of times that the Lord would heal me, and it never happened. But, but I never felt like I, I should give up on that. And so I prayed one more time, and that time— uh, God healed me. And, uh, and so I, I hope that's an encouragement. So now, when you say that, like what happened? It just, all of a sudden you didn't need an inhaler. I didn't need an inhaler the next day or the next day or the next day. And about seven days in, uh, I remember thinking, I think the Lord healed me. Um, now, now here's the deal. I, I think, uh, you've got to be careful. Um, 
first thing I would say is I believe that doctors and medicine are a gift from God. Yes. Uh, and they have saved my life so many times. Um, but I also think that uh, you've got to give the great physician uh, the final word. And uh, God, God may want to do a miracle in your life, but you've got to keep believing. And uh, I want to be careful here, though, Carrie. I- I've always subscribed to something that Oswald Chambers said. He said, let God be as original with others as he was with you. So I'm not saying that God's going to heal you the way that he did me, but, uh, but I do know this, that uh, it's the most unthinkable, unbelievable miracle I've ever experienced in my life. And my faith is on fire because if God can do that, there is nothing he can't do in my life. And I don't know why it took 43 years. <laughs> I don't know why I prayed that prayer hundreds of times, but this time he answered. But uh, here's what I do know for sure. He's able. Mm. He's able. Well, and and isn't that what a miracle is? It doesn't point to itself. It points beyond itself to something greater, which when it happens, that's exactly what it should do. It, It does. And then the way that we steward it, Carrie, is we believe God for even bigger and better miracles. And so... Yeah. Uh, let's just continue to trust him and and uh, and believe him to do the impossible in our lives. Mark, anything else you want to share with leaders while we got you? Well, I, I just I, I love leaders. I know that uh, it's not an easy task, um, but at the end of the day, you know, I think we live in a culture that's that uh, seeks fifteen minutes of fame. But mm. I, I would push back and say, let, let's celebrate a life lifetime of faithfulness. Um, and uh, I think that's what I learned at that Eugene Peterson event I was at. Just a reminder to take the long view, uh, to keep doing the right things day in and day out. And uh, and then at the end of the day, I think our greatest regrets are going to be those opportunities that we left on the table. And so uh, Chase the Lion is more than a title to me, Carrie. It's, yeah. it's, it's my life message. Um, I am not going to play it safe. I'm going to go after those God-sized dreams. And when we do that, I think we set the table for God to do some amazing miracles. So I, I hope that that's an encouragement and uh, maybe even in a, a, a little bit of conviction uh, from the Holy Spirit for those who are listening. Well, hey, are you working on your next manuscript soon? <laughs> I know the life of a writer, right? One's out of the hatch and here comes another one, right? There, There's always two or three in the hopper. In fact, yeah. uh, I mean, it's crazy. And the next book's already written, Carrie. There you go, Mark. Well, I'm grateful for that. And so are a lot of other people. You know, I always feel this way whenever we get a chance to hang out or connect. It's just, I feel like my heart is full. It's just, it's, you're such an encourager, Mark. And not just, you know, with like platitudes, but with real substantial encouragement. You have a great track record. God has used you powerfully. Thanks for not giving up. Thanks for inspiring so many people, including myself. And I know people are going to want to get a copy of Chase the Lion. And where can they find that? And where can they find you these days? Well, I I appreciate that, first of all. And and uh, chasethelion.com uh, is a pretty cool site where people can read a sample chapter. Uh, there's actually a buy one, get one free offer that's 
pretty awesome. So thanks to my publisher for putting that out there. And then lots of free resources. So if a church wanted to maybe uh, do a staff study or sermon series, uh, listen, the trailer, the graphics, all of that is uh, is free and downloadable at chasetheline.com. That's fantastic. And uh, Mark, thank you so much for building into leaders. So appreciate you. Hey, thanks for your podcast. You you know I'm a regular listener inspired by it. Thanks for the opportunity to uh, to be a, a voice on it. Open invitation, Mark. We'll have you back again. Thanks, man. Thanks. Isn't Mark great? <laughs> I I just I just love Mark and uh, love any opportunity I get to hang out with him. And you're going to want more. You can go to the show notes, kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 128. You can also uh, just check him out online, markbatterson.com. And we'll have all the links to everything we talked about in the show notes today. Hey, we're back next week with a fresh episode. Again, subscribers will get it automatically on Tuesday for free. And uh, what are we doing next week? Well, we've got Jason Romano. Jason, actually until very recently, this is another one we recorded months ago, worked at ESPN. And I know there's a lot of sports fans out there. He's going to talk to us about his time as a producer at ESPN headquarters, uh, his Christianity, faith at work. It's, it's going to be great. Scott Sauls is coming up, Kyle Eidelman, Greg Atkinson, fascinating conversation about secret church shopping, Todd Adkins, Warren Bird, Carl George, so many more. Uh, really, really some fun stuff coming up. And if this has helped you, can you leave a rating or review on iTunes or Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, wherever you listen, and just let others know about it. Uh, we'd love to get the word out. And uh, I just want to thank you. And again, if you have some some feedback, just hit me up on Twitter. Hit me up on my Facebook page. And it's just at CNewhoff at those. And of course, you can access everything off of leadlikeneverbefore.com. Hey, thanks so much for everything. We are back next Tuesday with a fresh episode, and I really hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.